Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy. Whether you're a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional, a show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Money across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 24 of Across the Pond Marketing Transformed. My name's Chris Lawson in London, UK, and I'm joined by Samuel Money in Philadelphia. Say hello, Sam. Hello, Chris. How are you, sir? How's your week going? It's good. Yeah, very good. Thank you. I'm excited by episode 24, and it makes me think of that fabulous TV show featuring Jack Bauer and how he would go around almost dying, almost losing it all, but managing to save it all by the final 24th episode and bringing things to a good conclusion. Yeah, you sort of, you sort of knew he was going to do that, though, didn't you? <laughs> let's let's be honest. Yes, there was. Yeah, by the, you knew that it was, good was going to happen at the end, and you know the the good guys would win and the bad guys would lose, and Jack would solve it all with the help of various people and women in his life and all sorts. But he'd get there in the end. We had faith and we had hope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I quite enjoyed the first series. Were you a fan? I was a big fan. I watched them all the way through. And after a while, you suddenly think, oh, come on, this time, really? He's going to get out of this scrape and get out of this jam. But I think it links nicely to the topic we're talking about, Chris, because, you know, we're going to talk about failure and how to avoid it. And Jack Bauer could be a potential role model and aspirational hero of what the reality of the world is and the reality of the world of work, perhaps. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Actually, to be honest, no. So okay. that's the last Jack Bauer reference okay. of, of this okay. episode. Um, but the show, you are absolutely right, is about what can go wrong, will go wrong. It's about looking at failure and how to avoid it or how to learn from it. And it's quite interesting when we've been reviewing some of the comments we've had mm -hmm. about the shows. There's a lot about, but how do I actually put that into practice? Or I tried that and it didn't work. And and it's a fair challenge as, as it's not easy. It is, yeah, it's, a, it's a difficult looking at digital transformation and marketing transformation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think for a lot of us who have worked in different organizations, different companies, different places, transformation varies depending on the type of company you're in, the type of leadership you have, and the type of, I think, the team and the, the culture of the organization. All of those factors do influence how people see it and how they respond to it. Yeah, and there's a there's a there's a stat which is quite widely sort of quoted around the fact that seventy percent mm. of transformation projects fail, yep, um, which which is staggering, isn't it? It's, it's, you think how much money Probably is invested higher in that. than that if you see you think about it. Really, seventy percent, maybe thirty percent succeed. That's quite impressive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and let, let's face it, there's, there's probably a lot of failures that people don't like to talk about mm. or put in surveys as much as anything else. Um, and there was, I mean, there, there's a huge body of work, some academic, some sort of practitioner-led, some consultancy-led about digital transformation and how to do it well. And we're, we're come and touch on that. But um, one of the key pieces of work was by uh, McKinsey and uh, a senior partner there. So Harry Robinson mm -hmm. said that 
one of the first reasons a transformation isn't successful is down to the CEO not setting sufficient high aspirations and there needs to be an audacious goal that everyone can get behind. And, and I think that that's really fascinating, Sam. I, I always remember Paul Keenan, who was a CEO of Bow. I mean, he, he still is the CEO of Bow whilst I was there um, and EMAP before that. And and he talked a lot about having an audacious goal. Um, and, and what was fascinating about it was the, the mindset. It was a stretch upon a stretch upon a stretch Mm -hmm. so good was never good enough there was a certain amount of um, good to great in there but actually it was just relentless there was a a pressure to perform and outperform and overperform each time but it did help improve the speed and the momentum Mm -hmm. that we were offering so so in a way it had the desired effect although Pretty much everyone was quite exhausted quite a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think that's a, a good comment there to have the EQ side and the human side, because as you talk about this kind of constantly raising the bar and stress striving for more, there are cultures which that just won't work in and maybe fear starts to kick in and people start to reject the change or start to not be on board. And I know I'm one of those people who tends to see the new, the opportunity, the innovation, the the possibility and be rallying around that and having the focus on that long-term goal and being open to new ways of getting there and, you know, changes to plans, changes to strategy, competitor moves, all of that keeps me excited and engaged on how to solve it and how to grow but for for many people they might just you know fear might kick in they might just reject it and back off yeah and and, and that's the second point i think you you need to stress to everyone in the organization how important change is going to be and how much they're all needed to make it happen but you you can't really carry passengers within that as well you have to you have to make sure that you've got everyone on board and wrap your arms around them but but there is a challenge there i think yeah and i think you know one of the points that we could talk about is what the the the, the consequences of a negative voice and the, the, the damage that they can do and uh, there yes absolutely let's have the debate let's have a discussion voice honest opinions but you know some people's perspective is you get on board the boat or you jump off yeah yeah simple as that and you know one of the things that we looked at in earlier episodes was that you can't you can't have a team full of sort of pioneers or visionaries or or optimists you need that sp- uh, splattering of sort of realists and and even the sort of the naysayers as well just to sort of bring you back down to the ground but at some point you have to go do you know what we have to get behind this we mm-hmm. have to we have to focus on this and we have to drive on it so so that that's interesting that uh, again another point negative voice and what they can do employees not buying into a change and therefore not investing extra energy that the shifts requires to make it happen is another contributing factor that he mentions i think that's a that's a bit where honesty and transparency and being authentic really comes into play here where we've all been either in a project or an organization where someone's nodding and then you get outside you go we're never going to be able to achieve that and and the the bottom line is you've you've got to be in a situation where you can have that honest debate but if it's not right for you then you've got to be able to walk walk away as well well i think it's a test of character but some of that character has to be installed from the leadership team as well yeah and i think the the key thing is the leadership have got to create an environment where people can actually give that perspective and share that perspective not outside or in in the hallways but actually you know in 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 more um 
public space in a more public way because often the leaderships don't don't set the tone for people to give dissenting voices or to provide alternative perspective. They say my door is always open, but actually it's probably closed and they're not wanting to hear it. And so I think there's an onus. We're not just pointing at the people to ship up or shape out. It's also the leaders and how they, they role model and how they actually create the, the environment for for this to work. Yeah. And then, uh, which we won't go into because we covered it in another episode, that regular performance tracking, making sure that you've got the milestones in place and, and you're reviewing, feedbacking into it. But I think the difficult bit is around managing those twin speed businesses. How do you manage the day-to-day activities, the business as usual, making sure the wheels don't fall off as well as focusing on the long term as well? Uh, that I think is the challenge. There's a, another report by McKinsey where they say that most transformations are, are focused on today's problems and and how you ultimately fix them is that you ensure that your solutions are future-proof, meaning that you need new thinking. You have to be focusing on that horizon two and a horizon three and not just the short-term horizon. Um, and, and if you don't, um, you'll lead to a new organization structure and culture that isn't agile and doesn't thrive on change and disruption. And, and that's actually what you do need to survive. So so I think that that's an interesting uh, point to kick us off from, Sam, just those those uh, points where you, th- you look at an organization and you go, how much of that does that ring true? And I think we've all been there where uh, either a, a leader or a manager has, has stood up and said, right, we need to we need to move from point here, A to B, and you're looking at it going, I'm just not sure that's possible, or I don't believe in your vision, or alternatively, uh, I've got a viewpoint which doesn't feel like it's been heard. So yeah, a good starting point for why things go wrong, I think. Yeah, and I think as you are so eloquently sharing the power of transformation and how leaders need to identify opportunities to do that. There's some brands that have done that well that probably come to mind. So as you, it's such a great flow there. Is there a brand that comes to mind that have done that well that you can share with the audience? Yeah, thanks, Sam. That's that's nice to hear. But what, one that springs to mind is Lego. And and I like it because it, it just feels like the juxtaposition to all these sort of digital brands that we keep mm, talking about. You know, they were they were close to going bankrupt, really, really close. They were they'd lost their way, they were creating a huge amount of product lines and they were sort of straying away from what their audience want. They brought in a uh, a uh, new CEO who was from McKinsey and uh, and he reduced the number of products, drastically reduced the number of products and looked at where they could provide more relevance, mm. where where the market was going, where toy manufacturing was going. They looked to film a video mm-hmm. and how they could keep themselves relevant within that. Um, and I think it's fascinating, actually. I mean, he himself said that um, he, we need to constantly become better or otherwise there will be someone out there who will catch us up. Um, and, and look, you, you look at how successful Lego is um, and how powerful it is. And actually what they did was that they kept asking themselves, where could they go? How could they transform? And uh, they're clearly a success story now, but was was something that you would almost imagine was going to be on a, a scrap heap. Well, you can you can also imagine that, Chris, because essentially what's remarkable about this story and remarkable about the product is the core thing they make are plastic bricks. 
and anyone can make plastic <laughs> bricks. You can mass produce them <laughs> from, you know, factories galore. And so turning a commodity into a brand that stands, that resonates and has meaning in today's world is a great example of transformation. And I think you can see the fruits of the labor and the fortunes that have grown. Really easy really, really easy to copy plastic bricks. You could say the same in the coffee industry. And Nespresso is another brand that I love, and they've done an, an immensely awesome job because coffee is essentially the world's number two commodity out there behind oil. Again, That's they've amazing. been able to transform a proposition into something that has meaning and relevance and create a product and experience that lives on. And an industry or a sector that was doomed a few years ago, now they're actually sh showing consistent growth. So if you're in a sector or a business or a brand or a company and you're thinking, there's no hope for us, we're being transformed around us, we can't win. Well, look, those are two proof points of companies that have turned it around and managed to win. Yeah, good good one, Sam. And I, I think also you think about sectors that were doomed, um, look at media and music. I mean, clearly both having a bit of a resurgence now <laughs> with different business models, but it's taken like 10, 15 years to get there. These were two industries in the early 2000s when I was sort of working on them that were sort of careering down um, paths which were just going to lead to um, sort of rationalization, really. A clear knowledge that digital technology was going to revolutionize how people consume their services and that the business models weren't going to work in the new world. But very, very difficult to do something about that when you're the incumbent. And, and many left it too late, I think, um, to actually react to it. And, and some definitely have a chance to do something dramatic, but, but didn't. I remember being in one company, which I won't mention, where we were looking at acquisitions with two young upstarts coming in, Love mm -hmm. Film, now sold to yep. Amazon, of yep. course, Netta Porte, incredibly uh, successful sort of um, unicorn business, a fashion business who were looking for either investment mm. to be poor or partnership. And and sometimes when you're in a position of strength, I think you don't necessarily realize where where the market is right. going and uh, and you need to be aware of that. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. And as you're telling the story there, uh, I'm listening to you thinking, wow, my first Saturday job was working in a camera shop and then my first full-time job was working in a record store. And to um, Neither of those exist anymore. Both of those industries saw the digital stuff happening and kind of stuck to what they traditionally did, the retailers I worked for. And, you know, a company like Virgin Megastores was another one which had a global presence that I worked at and they've gone away. So the jobs I grew up with don't exist anymore. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but it's a critical reason why we can't afford to put our head in the sand because the work that we do will change over time and we need to be fit for that future to be successful going forward. And I'd love to shout out a guy called Michael Gale. He's a fellow Brit and um, fellow Manchester United fan. But anyway, he's written a great book called The Digital Helix. And when I read it, it just rang so true on the core issues that lead to success or failure that just go beyond the digital remit. So yes, digital is important, but it's not, mm. it's not the only thing. There's a transparency and a reality of executive action and involvement. And that's so pivotal in terms of how leaders lead, not from their ivory tower, but actually rolling up their sleeves and leading it with the people, role modeling it, uh, role modeling the mindset and really breaking down the silos and asking the right questions and operating in the right way. It's about communication, Chris, and you mentioned some of that, some of the, the leadership from the Lego CEO of communicating actually what's realistic and what's achievable and making sure everyone's clear about that. Then, of course, it's about measuring what matters. You know what, Chris, I've been at companies where there have been 
25 point scorecards on multiple metrics, but the elements relating to the people or the resources are absent. And so if you don't have those right metrics in place and actually have the resources in place, you're not going to succeed. It's, you know, often a top-down plan with no realism and no resources. So one of the things he says, yeah. says in his book is create a stop, a start and a do differently sort of framework. And what I like about this is that you can ask a bunch of questions to get started. So you can ask yourself, what relationships matter? How do we change them? Which ones matter? Then thinking about resources and allocations, which do we use? How do we handle the allocations? What should we do internally? What do we need to do externally? These are all really important strategic questions. The outcomes, okay, so what outcomes actually matter versus outcomes we do today or outcomes we, we think we want? And then focus, which are the right ones? So that framework of relationships, resources, and allocations, outcomes, and focus sounds really, really simple, but that's a great tool and a great framework to use to think about this. The magic is to force yourself to think about these differently. So this is not just big multi-billion dollar companies. It could be you as a small um, entrepreneur, or a mid-sized company, ask yourself those questions and it'll set you up at least facing where the transformation is that you need to focus and what you can do to go forward. Yeah, I really like that. And, and I think that's a good point. You sort of, this isn't transformation just in large-scale enterprises or brands. Transformation happens everywhere and and also it's getting faster in a way due to sort of tech advancement. So, so you need to look at how you future-proof your role. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those points are, are, are really clear in terms so that how you can go about it at whatever level you are. So, Sam, what, what's the biggest transformation mistake that you've been involved in, would you say? Well, Chris, I'm going to sound very familiar. I was going to use the analogy of a broken record, but, you know, perhaps there are not so many of those around. I come back to the organizational piece of the what's in it for me from the individual perspective and, hmm. you know, the leaders perhaps not being truly committed themselves to the change. I, like you, have probably been in situations, 100% of the listeners have been there where companies have merged or reorganized or been acquired or acquired other companies. And the aim is to drive growth. It's to drive innovation, to better serve customers or to respond to market threats or because the numbers are down and the business is declining and there's downsizing going on. You get the picture. The issue I've seen, Mm. Chris, is that often there's just painfully blindly investing buying stuff investing in in the technology investing in infrastructure in a vacuum and not everyone working with the same mindset and really working on the right outcomes so you have new departments and new people doing work that doesn't dock into the core business and so the new departments the new organization the new digital team or the e-com or these other functions are trying to sell their work to the business. They're trying to convince the organization that this stuff has value and it's needed. And imagine the folks on the other side, they've already got 100% of their time for. They don't necessarily look for new solutions or looking for these resources. And it's kind of a fruitless effort trying to persuade people to use your stuff. There's Clearly, in the modern marketing world, digital world, first-party data is really, really important. But imagine an organization which is vested in perhaps shipment data and you're not being able to crack the dashboards and the reporting. You're probably seen as a troublemaker trying to show this new information, which is more consumer-centric. So for me, Mm. it's a failure to assess where the organization needs to invest and then ensuring those resources work well together because there's often multiple budgets, multiple agendas, and, you know, often IT and marketing aren't collaborating. But Chris, who do you see getting it right? Now, look, that's that's a good question, and it's... 
And it is difficult if you're an incumbent or in the leadership position. I work with a lot of private equity organisations on turnaround plans Mm -hmm. and helping provide a marketing audit for them. So helping to come in and sort of say, well, how do we help them transform? Um, And the ones that get it right aren't actually sector specific, I don't think. They're the ones that adopt the behaviours that we just discussed, that skill set, mindset and behaviours. However, they're also ones that anticipate the wave of a trend and go for it. Uh, you know, I read a lot of stuff from VCs and private equity houses, and it, it's interesting what they've got to say. There's a there's an organisation called Homebrew, mm-hmm. which which isn't a um, craft beer okay. company, um, but they they uh, they provide investment on that sort of pre Series A stage, um, and and it's quite interesting. their sort of philosophy where it's it's a uh, where it's a mission-driven founder. Mm-hmm. They're looking for people where they're mission-driven founders who have a firm belief about how the world should operate and a strong set of hypotheses on how to get there. You know, they're looking for people that want to disrupt, have empathy, mm-hmm. um, and and are passionate about what they think that they could do. Um, and so they're looking for very, very specifics there um, in terms of what, the, what they think is going to work. A lot of VCs operate in areas where they've got a hypothesis or a thesis that they call them a VC thesis as to where they think the the real sort of opportunity is going to be in the future, mm. which is why you almost get a glut at one time of looking at social media companies or um, self, self-driving cars or AI-driven organizations. But I think I think that's absolutely fascinating when, when you think about that. Um, and there's a lot that can be learned from it. Um, but again, no one's really got the answer here. There was a, a uh, analyst who asked uh, Eric Schmidt around uh, YouTube when they bought that in 2006 and said, you paid a lot of money. How, how do you know that was the right amount? And Eric, he, uh, he looked at the analyst and paused and replied, it's definitely not the right amount. It's either way too high or way too low. And we will know in 10 years' time. And, and clearly, they, they called it right. But th- there is no magic um, around this. But I think aiming the right areas, having a philosophy that you aim towards, I think, can work. It's often about disrupting the market to make it go wrong for your competitors. So it's less about worrying about what other people... It's actually you taking action, you being the, the catalyst. So rather than wait for it to happen, you're trying to learn from the mistakes and it's all about having a growth mindset but it's about embracing that risk and that failure so the realist experience i think for a lot of us is working in roles and departments but are they going to be around in the next five or ten years i remember when social media was up and coming and it was really an uphill battle to get the resources, to get the support, and to get people to take it seriously. It was trying to shift to content creation and letting go of the brand story. But all of that was being resisted by the leadership throughout marketing. Social was not valued for the PR and influencers. It was seen as people with opinions and not experts. And of course, fast forward to today, it was almost as if social was a joke that was tolerated because they were me measuring success in a completely different way and i think that's the thing i'm taking away here that there's just different terms of reference which are completely alien to a lot of people and the dtc brands the direct to consumer brands have started to win in so many segments because the way they did things the way they measure the way they target the way they act it wasn't the proper way of doing it and look at where we are now 
Yeah, that's fascinating. And I think the real formula is to keep moving forward that skills, mindsets and behaviours. And we talk about a growth mindset and brands need growth mindsets as well. You know, you look at how The Guardian is funded now changing dramatically you look at how facebook makes its money uh, again they anticipating that their mm-hmm. audience is getting older uh, lock in whatsapp lock in instagram into those revenue streams as well I mean, obviously instagram is a, a vast part of the revenue stream now so you have to carry on moving forward you can't ever sit on your laurels so sam what are the three key takeouts and reflections of this session chris There was some really juicy content there, but I think you started off with the right tone in terms of the CEO setting high expectations. And you told the wonderful story of Lego and how he was able to come in, work with a lot of leaders and turn around essentially a company selling plastic bricks. Secondly, there's clearly a lot about the mindset, the philosophy and the culture of the organization. You've really got to have the right values that bring people along and get everyone to support it. And then thirdly, I'd say it's about, well, Everyone gets it wrong. Everyone fails, Chris. I think the number out there is 70%, probably higher. So we have to embrace that we're going to stumble, we're going to get things wrong. And it's how we handle that, how we learn from that, and how we move forward that's so critical if you believe in the idea of what can go wrong will go wrong. Three great takeouts there. Uh, thanks for all your insight this show i think it's been a really good one so next week's show we're going to talk about 10 lessons we can learn from startups and scale-ups how we can apply that to our everyday work uh whatever type of organization that we're in um some great stuff out there i'm really looking forward to it yeah absolutely i think if we can make sure we apply it to large companies small companies and mid-size there's something for everyone to take away we've got to get to work on that chris so until next week Have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.